Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the Power Hour. We get to hear the word of the Lord. We pray that um, as you sit and listen, that you will receive not only what you came looking for, but what God wants you to have. We are on the last installment for this month. This is the last service. It is also the last sermon for this particular segment of the relationship series. If you're joining us for the first time, we started a relationship series in the month of January. It will continue through the month of March. And so please, if you've been with me and Pastor Henry since January, hang in there. I promise when March is over, I will never talk about relationships again for another 10 years. Okay? So hang in there. The, ro the road and the ride is going to be rougher and rougher. Does anybody remember who I preached about last week? Hosea and? And Goma. So I had a conversation with a young lady after the sermon, and uh, it wasn't a complaint. It was, but it wasn't. Uh, her, her complaint, I'm sorry, her comment was, why do you make wives look bad and husbands look good? I said, I didn't do that. It's in the word of God. And so when the assignment to preach was given to me again the Sabbath, I said, okay, ladies, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to pick a good example for a wife and a bad example for a husband, just to keep the field playing. Amen, ladies? Yeah, because I don't think you guys are gomers. But at the same time, I don't think you are the lady I'm going to preach about today, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay? So get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to read from verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 3. I'm only going to read three verses, but really I want the entire story. But as a jump-off text, these three verses will be sufficient. The sermon today is entitled, Killing Me Softly. Does anybody remember Lauren Hill's remix of that beautiful song? Okay, good. Uh, notice everybody above 30 said, yeah, everybody below 30 is like, who's Lauren Hill? Opposites attract. Opposites attract is something that people believe, but is actually not practical. Do you realize the reason that you're with the person you're with is not because you're different, but because you like same things? No, you're not buying it yet? Okay, let me sell it better. The most important question in a relationship is not, are we different? The most important question is, am I difficult? Let me demonstrate how opposites attract is misleading. You like to eat vegetarian food. She likes to eat like a carnivore. But you both like food. So what you have in common is that you like food, you just like different types of food. He likes conservative worship. She likes liberal worship. But guess what? They both love God. I wanted a, a girl as a first child. My wife got a, wanted a son. She got a son. But does that mean I don't like children? I love children. She loves children. I want five kids. She wants one child. Pray for her. 
there's no such thing as opposites attract. Because you met in the club, in the church, at the movies, at a sports game, you met somewhere. And when you started talking, you were impressed by the things that you had in common. But along the way, you start to discover differences. She's a girl, you a boy. You come from this tribe, she comes from that tribe. And all of a sudden, the differences become to appear. But there's nobody that says, I'm quiet, I'm introverted. Let me find the most loudest, obnoxious man and marry him. Nobody does that. The differences come later. But, but, sometimes the differences are so bad that they don't bring spice to the marriage, they create problems. While it matters who you marry, it matters even more who you are in the marriage. For a lot of people, because of a cultural and traditional context, they are so focused on who you marry that people run out of energy in the marriage. You're so laser focused on, they have to be this type of person, they have to have this, they have to have gone this place, she's gotta be this and she's gotta be that, but in the marriage, we stop focusing on who we are and that's what causes problems. Not that you're different, but because you're difficult. Let's read the text. First Samuel, chapter 25, verse number one to verse number three. Now, Samuel died. Now, it's obvious that Samuel didn't write this because he's dead. Now, Samuel died and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. Let's go home. She was sensible and beautiful. Every man wants to marry a sensible and beautiful woman. Every woman believes that she is sensible and beautiful. But Nabal a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. Let us pray one more time. Dear Father, we are here to listen. Speak. Amen. This statement, while it matters who you marry, it matters even more who you are in the marriage, was said by Brandon Thomas, no relation. And the idea is simply this. I've said it already that there's too much of a focus on the person you end up with. It becomes such a public discussion in the church, in the neighborhood, in the family. It's all about who you're going to marry. Why are you marrying this person? But the moment you're married, very few people care about what's going on in that marriage. And in today's message, we come in contact with a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Now, because of context... Because of the details of the story, these are not old people. These are young adults, probably in their mid-30s. Because at this moment, David is in his late 20s, about to hit that 30-age mark. So this couple is young. There's no mention that they have children. So it is possible that they've been married for a couple of years. 
The Bible says that Nabal is wealthy. It is probable that this is an inheritance, and I will show you why I think so. So there's two people in the story, Nabal and Abigail. We're going to start with Nabal. The Bible tells us that he was a wealthy man. It tells us that he had real estate. And for some reason, he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Then it says, this man's name was Nabal. Now, it seems like a not important detail in the story, but understand the Hebrew poetic mind. Whenever somebody is introduced, if their name is said first, it says something about their character and everything else follows. But to this man, it is obvious that these things mattered than who he was. Let me demonstrate. Take your Bible. Go to the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Look at how Moses, the writer of Job, introduces Job to the world. Verse number 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So from the jump off in the sermon, it is obvious that the problem is not the wealth, it's not the real estate, it's the man. Job was richer than Nabal, but the Bible says he was a godly man. He had more sheep, more camels, more female donkeys for some reason than Nabal did. But when we are introduced to Job, we are told who he was, his character, he was a family man, then his wealth. But this brother right here, we are introduced to what he had and what he owned. Then we are told his name. Now, there are some commentators, and I tend to agree with them, that the name is not his birth name, but it is actually a nickname. Because the name Nabal means a fool. Which parent, after the, child has, the wife has given birth, the child and says, this is going to be a fool. Let's call him Fool. I, I don't think that's his original name. But he exhibited foolishness, and so the nickname stuck with the people around him. I don't think anybody said it to his face, but this became his name. Two things about Nabal I want to point out before we talk about Sister Abigail, because she's the star of this story. The first thing we notice about him is that the fruit fell far from the tree. You guys understand what this expression means, right? It means you can come from an amazing family. Mom is generous and warm and uh, hospitable. Dad is a storyteller, a terrible dad jokes. He's just this nice guy. All of a sudden, here comes the son. He's rude and crude. Do you understand how bad a person you have to be to be described as crude and mean? You think the words mean the same thing, but not really. The word crude can mean somebody who's rude when they speak to people, but it can also mean simple-minded, not very intelligent, just a, sim a simpleton who cannot speak to people properly. Uh, my, my, my wife told me the, the Bahasa word to describe people like this. I, I forgot it because I'm me. Okay, crude means the, the way you talk to people is mean. You call them, they say what? That's the greeting, what? That's crude. 
Mean means they are stingy, they are greedy, and they will do anything to take what you have so they have it. So you have a wealthy man who is crude and mean in how he deals with people. But notice where he descended from. He is a descendant of Caleb. Anybody here remember who Caleb is? Caleb is the other half of the duo that left Egypt and made it into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. It was Caleb who said to the people when they came back from spying the land, let's go take it, God has given it. It was Caleb at the age of 80 who said, I want that mountain and he fought for it and he got it. Caleb was a man of faith, he was a man of action. Caleb was the kind of brother you could depend on. When people try to pick on you, Caleb would step up there. Caleb stood for God. He stood for family. He stood for values. That's the kind of man this man's great, 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 great grandfather was. I'm sure there's more greats, but that's as much as I can say as fast as I can. Caleb gained a mountain. That means he got real estate, he got rich land, he got property, he got what he needed. So it is obvious that Nabal has inherited these things from the descendants of Caleb. But along the way, he stopped being a godly man. So the fruit fell far from the tree. Ladies, be careful when you pick a man based on the family he comes from. He may not be what they are. They may have a lot of stuff, but he's empty in here. Amen. <laughs> what you have will never save you from what you are. We live in a, uh, we, we used to be a circular, a materialistic generation a long time ago. Materialism is, is our identity now. It has invaded the church. And so people think that the more you have, the better a person you are. But history has proven that wealth does not change people. It reveals what they are already. So if you are mean-spirited, if you are greedy, it doesn't matter how much you get. That is why there's a lot of wealthy billionaires who are in jail for stealing money. Does that make any sense? You run a firm that makes $4 billion a year, but you want to steal some more money. Doesn't make any sense. Because wealth doesn't make a man, it reveals a man. Number two, he refused to acknowledge David's call. The rest of the story tells us that when David, when Samuel died, David was still on the run from King Saul. In the previous chapter 24, we find a rather strange incident where King Saul is chasing after David and the, 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 the army with David, about 600 men, are hiding in a cave. All of a sudden, Saul says to his army of almost 3,000 soldiers, he says to them, wait outside, I need to go inside and relieve myself. You, you understand what relief means, right? Not number one, but number two. He wanted to go into the cave to relieve himself, but in the cave was David and his soldiers. And his soldiers said to him, this is the opportunity we've been waiting for. Go kill him so we can stop running and you become the king. But David, being a man of integrity at this stage of his life, 
He says, how can I touch the anointed of the Lord? And so he creeps up to Saul while Saul is relieving himself, squatted on the ground in the darkness. He cuts a part of his garment and he walks away. When Saul walks out of the cave, cave David shouts out to him and says, uh, Oh king, Lord, live forever. I could have taken your life, but I understand that you are God's servant. As I have spared you, spare me. That's chapter 24. When we get to chapter 25... Samuel has died, Saul is still chasing David, and so David comes to the region where this wealthy man had all this real estate and animals and crops. David was such a good soldier that whenever he ended up in an area, raiders would come and try to attack the homes, David would protect them. In return, the people would give David supplies so that he could take care of his soldiers. David realizes it is sheep shearing season, right? You know when the sheep have so much wool, they got to take it off, harvest it, sell it, or make clothes or whatever. Nabal was a sheep shearer, meaning that he had a clothing business, I think. Now, David says to the servants of Nabal, go to your master and say to him, look, we've protected your sheep, we've protected your shepherds, now can you give us just a little bit so we can feed our people? Listen to Nabal's response. Ladies, tell me if you're married to a man like this. Who is this fellow David? Who is this fellow David? I don't know him. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? Oh, wait a minute. Who is this fellow David, but he knows whose father he is? So in other words, Nabal knows who David is, but he refuses to acknowledge him. It gets worse. There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. In other words, he is calling David Saul's servant. He refuses to acknowledge the fact that everybody in the region sees David as the future king. But see, he's wealthy. He doesn't need David. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse that I should recognize him? He says, should I take my bread, my water, my meat, my money? my stuff, and give it to a band of outlaws who come from, listen to this insult, who knows where. Nabal is rude and crude. He refuses to acknowledge who David is. All he had to do, brothers and sisters, was give them some bread, some water, and they would be on their way. Now, David spares Saul in the cave, even though he's running after him to kill him, but the words of this man hit at David's ego because there's nothing a man hates the most like being belittled. You can say a lot to a man, but when you insult his manhood, when you insult the money that he makes, when you insult his car, when you insult his height, he gets offended. David decides, not only am I going to kill Nabal, I'm killing every single male in that home. Are you married to somebody that gets the family into trouble every single time? Do you get concerned when your partner is posting stuff on Facebook and Instagram? Do you get worried by the things they say in church? When you see your spouse talking to people at church, you're like, oh, Lord, I hope they're saying something nice. I, I hope it's just happy Sabbath and see you next week. Some people are just difficult. They thrive on belittling everybody else to elevate themselves. And so David said, I'm going to kill everybody. 
There is nothing more frustrating to a family than a man, a husband, a father who doesn't understand the world around him. Nabal was so uh, uh, consumed by himself that he did not recognize that the world was changing. This was no longer the era of Saul. This was now David's time. But because of his ignorance, everything fell apart. There are people, there are men who do not pay attention to what's happening around them financially, politically, spiritually. And so because of that, the family suffers. Nabal is such a man. But the Bible says he was fortunate because he was married to Abigail. Abigail is a beautiful name. My son's name is Asher Riley Thomas. But because I was so desperate to have a girl, I wanted to call her Abigail Riley Thomas. Riley is a two-way name. Don't be like, oh, I thought Riley is a boy's name. No, what you do is you spell it with an E and a Y, girl's name. Abigail Riley Thomas. But the Lord answered her prayers, and they became my prayers. Abigail is one of the most beautiful names in the world. It's, it's right up there. It's, it's so common, but it's a beautiful name. In fact, I've met three Abigails, wonderful people. Single guys, if you can find yourself an Abigail, marry her immediately. <laughs> I'm yet to meet a bad Abigail. If, you, if you're dating an Abigail who sucks, I'm sorry for you, but Abigails are just amazing people. Abigail, the Bible says she is sensible and beautiful at the same time. Do, do you understand how powerful a quality in a woman that is? This description of Abigail should have been the description that Adam gave of Eve. But Adam never said, you are beautiful and sensible. He said, whoa, man, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. All that Adam saw was how she looked. But Abigail is beautiful and sensible. I love the word sensible more than the word brains, beauty and brains. I love sensible because it means she read the room. Let me show you how amazing this woman is. Number one, she was good to her servants. If she had a maid, if she had a nanny or a driver, they would have loved her. Does your nanny love you? Does your, is your driver excited when he sees you jump into the back seat? When you get home, is your maid excited for you to see how clean the house is? Or does she look down concerned that you're going to pick on her for a grain of rice stuck under the fridge? What kind of a woman are you? Are you an Abigail or a Jezebel? She was good to her servants. How do I know? So, so many stories in the sermon. David says to his soldiers, let's go deal with these people. Nabal's servants hear this. Now, in the Hebrew culture, who was more important, the man or the woman? Ladies, don't be, I can see like the man. No, no, the man was important. Not because he was, but that was the patriarchal society. You would think that the servant would run to the master and not the wife. But the Bible says they went to Abigail. Why? Because not only was she beautiful, she was sensible. The servant knows if we go to this ill-tempered man, nothing good will come out of it. Let's go to the wife. And so they go to the wife and they say to her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. He is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Now, 
Another wife would have gone to her husband and screamed at him. Another wife would have made the issue even worse and bigger. But Abigail is beautiful and sensible. Look at how she handles the situation. Maybe we can learn something. Second thing that she was, her servants trusted her. They loved her. They depended on her. They could have said to David, kill the family, but save us. But no, they gave her a heads up. Number two, she took accountability for her husband's actions and words. She fell at his feet and said, so Abigail comes up with an idea. I'm going to take some donkeys. I'm going to put a lot of food, bread, wine, and fruit on it, and I'm going to meet David. But the Bible says she chooses not to tell her husband. Now, right there, the room gets divided because somebody said honesty in relationships is the foundation of a beautiful marriage. You don't keep anything from each other. You are honest all the time. Nonsense. Sometimes you are married to the most terrible human being. Don't tell them everything. Everything? Some things. Some things. Right? She doesn't tell her husband. She takes all the stuff and she heads out. David is fuming. He's upset. His ego has been bruised. Here comes a beautiful woman with fruits and wine and, 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 and bread. And he, she comes and she drops down on her knees. Ladies, she dropped to her knees. And she said, please, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please forgive me. She took responsibility for her husband's actions. Pause. When I preach about a prostitute who's married to a preacher, I'm not saying that all men are the preacher and all women are the prostitute. I'm saying we can learn lessons either way from that relationship. It is the same with the sermon. Sometimes the ill-tempered, rude person is the wife and not the husband. So my point is, whoever you're married to, if you are different in temperament, try to be the level-headed person. When they scream and fuss and fight, you don't have to do the same. You can be like this woman. She took responsibility not because she was weak, not because she was abused by her husband, but she understood we are one. Your actions are my actions. Do you know what bothers me the most? Is when I'm listening to couples make fun of each other in public, but not in a cute way. When a wife talks about her husband as if he's a little boy, when a man talks about his wife as if she contributes nothing to the marriage, that bothers me. But those that know me know, my wife and I, we make fun of each other in public. I don't have a problem with that. She'll tease me about my height and my job in the relationship is to get stuff above the shelves. I'll tease her about her height as well, but I'm not making fun of her. The problem why there's issues in relationships is because you guys are not protecting each other in public. You're trying to stand on each other. This is the woman's era. Girl boss, she's in charge. Hashtag whatever. So you're stepping on your partner in order to be seen as a boss. Are you guys with me? Please forgive me. She was not in denial about what her husband was. There's another flip side where uh, 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 couples are in denial about what their partner is. They will defend their partner no matter what they do. If they know their partner is getting involved in shady business, as long as it's bringing money, they don't have a problem with it. 
They will cover up when their partner insults people. They'll cover up when the husband cheats on her. They'll cover up when the woman is spending all the money. Whatever it is, you cover up for them, not in the best possible way. This is a life and death situation. There's nothing she can cover up. And so she says, David, my Lord, I know what my husband is. What does she call him? I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. Now, look, you're thinking, but pastor, didn't you just say a wife shouldn't belittle a husband? No, she is saving his behind. She's admitting that, listen, don't take him seriously. The Bible says the man who argues with a fool becomes a fool himself. So she knows what he is. This is probably one of the most disturbing stories that hit the world before the pandemic really took, took a hold. In case you don't spend your time doom scrolling on Instagram and wherever, I'm sure you came across the story. Jeffrey Epstein, a financier, an American, has had a lot of, had, past tense, a lot of issues because he liked to date young women. In fact, in his words, young girls. He didn't call them women, he called them young girls. Ghislaine Maxwell is, was British, a British socialite in her generation. So she started dating Jeffrey Epstein and she moved to America and began to live with him as boyfriend and girlfriend. But over the years that passed from 2008, 2010 rather, all the way to 2019, stories came up that the, she was helping him get young girls to come to their house. He would force them to massage him, and the massage would lead to something else. For years, this kept happening, and she was facilitating it. Sometimes she would be in the room. In 2019, he mysteriously died in prison before his trial, and then she was left holding the bag. Not once during her trial did she say, I'm sorry I was a part of this. Not once. In fact, right now, there's a list of celebrities and politicians who supposedly went to the island, and I'm waiting for that list, baby. I'm waiting for that list. Because the people we love and respect took part in these things. But my sermon today is about the fact that she, as her partner to this man, said nothing. She didn't protect these girls. This is going to be hard to listen to. This is not an amen moment, but sometimes you have to protect society from your partner. It is not an act of betrayal or disloyalty to contradict your partner when it comes to matters of integrity and conscience. There are too many husbands, too many wives, too many fiancés, too many boyfriends and girlfriends who are carrying the moral bag for the relationship. You are the one that loves God. You are the one that wants to do the right thing. You are the one who wants to raise your kids in a way that pleases the Lord and pleases the family name, but your partner is different. All they care about is dollar-dollar bills, yo. All they want is status and prestige and power, and they'll step on anybody to get it, male or female. So I'm saying that if you're dating somebody and this is what you're dealing with, trust me, standing up for yourself may cost you the relationship, but it won't cost you your sanity and your spirituality. You can be the reasonable person in the relationship. Abigail, beautiful, sensible, that's what she was. She appealed to David's better nature. It is a social 
psychological, mental fact that women are smarter than men. If not smarter, they are more... What's the word I'm looking for, Brother Ray? Well, what's the word I'm looking for? Smart is... Uh, my ego is too big to use the word smart. What's the word I'm looking for? They know how to trick you better. Okay? Look at Eve. Look at Sarah. How do you convince your husband to sleep with another woman and then complain about it after? That's what Sarah did. Job's wife said to him, curse God and die. But this woman, she understood what she was. And so when she talks to David, she understands, I need to appeal to him as a man. She uses that woman power for good. Ladies, with great power comes great responsibility. Amen. So she goes to David and says, oh, king, you are to be the next king of Israel. Do you need this type of a record on the Do you need this type of record that you killed a man because you were angry? She says to him, when the Lord has done all he has promised and has made you lead of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. She appeals to him. In my opinion, she didn't need to say anything because David loved beautiful women, but she opened her mouth anyway. And she convinced him. She convinced him. Um, um, I, I, this is going to be uncomfortable for some, but, but there's, a, there's a nature in relationships where men can be bullies to their wives. Men can intimidate their spouse. She, she has no voice. She cannot say what she's thinking. She cannot express herself. I'm saying, my brother, if you take the time to listen to her, things might be better for you. Maybe you're married to Abigail. Or maybe she's a... Uh, uh, Jezebel. Everything you do, say or imagine, outside of your home must preserve, add value, and elevate it. You're struggling. It's not that your partner's cheating on you. It's not that your partner's spending all the money. But it's that every time they leave the house, the things they're saying outside, the person that they portray themselves to be, does not add value to the family. And so your, your reputation, your characters, are misaligned. Do you know that when your reputation is, is messed up, your world becomes very small? When you come to church, you sit at the back. I'm not saying you guys are sitting at the back because your reputation is messed up. You're there because you're late. But my point is this, that when your reputation is messed up as a couple, your circle becomes small. Now when your wife goes shopping, she has to do it with the head hanging low. If people know that your husband is stealing money, now she can't post about her Gucci bag no more, even though she worked for it. What you do affects your partner outside the home. Amen, somebody. She knew who David was and whom he fought for. See, this wasn't about, oh, David is a handsome man, he's a shepherd, he killed Goliath. That's not what it was about. She understood the bigger picture. She understood that this is, a, this is a man who is after God's own heart. This is a man who is going to establish the kingdom of God on earth. His assignment is to make sure that Israel becomes the beacon of hope to the rest of the world. She understood that. She knew that David was anointed. That's why the chapter mentions Samuel. She knew who he was and what he was to become. And so she was willing to contradict her husband because she saw the bigger picture. Brothers and sisters, we are sitting in here because we claim to love the Lord. Do you advise, counsel, and motivate your partner to do things that elevate God? Or are you more concerned about what you can get? Is your relationship built on building the kingdom of God? Or are you still building your little islands of success and prosperity? This woman cared more about the kingdom of God than about her own life. 
The Lord surely will reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battles and you have done nothing wrong throughout your entire life. Obviously, she hasn't met Bathsheba David. She, she met the younger version. Thank God for that story. Now, I shared something with you guys. I'm about to finish. I shared something with you last month about what makes for uh, a quality man or a quality woman. What should drive you when you're looking for a partner? I'm going to share it again. And I want you to see that Abigail is that type of a woman. Number one, she fought for a cause. And the cause was establishing Israel as God's people on earth. And she understood that David was the man for the job, not Saul. She bought into the vision and she was sold on it. So she had a cause she was fighting for. Number two, the community. She could have said to David, I'm beautiful. Take me to be your wife. Let's get rid of this joker. But no, she put her life on the line to save her foolish husband her servants, and everybody else in the home. So she had a sense of community. And finally, her capacity to love is unmatched in any woman. Somebody asked the question, but if she was beautiful and sensible, why did she marry this guy? How did she end up with a fool? Well, there's two, two theories. I think the first one is the true one. Number one, it was an arranged marriage. They didn't have a choice in those days. You do. She didn't. Number two, maybe he was a gentleman. Maybe he was the open the car door guy. The flowers, the call your mother and check how she's doing kind of guy. Maybe he was generous, just giving when the, when the church said, we're trying to build a church, we need 10 billion rupiah, he'd give 15 billion. Maybe he was that guy. But all of a sudden, he got the sensible, beautiful woman and he became a fool indeed. I believe it's the first one. But notice how, even though she was married to a fool, she was an amazing wife. Her, his foolishness did not infect her. I said his foolishness did not infect her. Do you know the, the greatest revenge you can give a partner who is abusive? Be the happiest person in the room. Yeah, pastor, you, you don't understand. You're not in the relationship. You're right. You're right. But I'm saying it worked for this woman. It can work for you. Kindness killed her husband. What's the title of the sermon? Dr. Audrey, what is the title of the sermon? Thank you, Dr. Audrey. Killing me softly. That's the title of the sermon. I'm sure you're thinking, what's the connection between this un unbalanced marriage and killing me softly? Here it is. The Bible says that David refused to, he changed his mind. He wasn't going to kill Nabal and, his, and, and, and the servants. And so she went home and she wanted to tell her husband. But the problem was he was drunk that evening. And so being the sensible wife, she decided to talk to him in the morning when he was sober. Ladies, here's a tip for you. Don't argue with a man when he's drunk, when he's tired, when he's hungry, and when he's sleepy. I'm a very moody person when I'm hungry. And seven years into the marriage, my wife knows this. And so if I come home complaining about everything, she'll say to me, what would you like for dinner? And like the Hulk and Black Widow, I just calm down. <laughs> because I got to eat because I'm very moody. She understands that. Abigail understood her husband. When he's drunk, don't talk to him. Wait until he's sober. 
So she waits until he's sober and she says to him, she tells him what happened and look what the Bible says. He had a stroke. He got paralyzed and for 10 days he was in a coma and the Bible says that the Lord struck him down and he died. Uh, I wish this was a happily ever after story, but the husband died not because he was scared. Somebody thought, oh, maybe he, he got a stroke because he thought David would kill him. No, this man was too crude and mean to be scared. The reason that he died is because he had such a mean spirit that his wife's kindness, he couldn't handle it. I know men who've divorced a woman because she was just the most beautiful, calm creature, just, just simple and humble, but he couldn't handle that. I know women who've cheated on a husband, who's there for her, who checks on her, who provides for her, but because he's not a bad boy, good, bad, half boy, she wasn't satisfied. This man couldn't handle that she showed kindness to somebody he had disregarded. And in the moment, he was hit with a stroke. And the Bible says after 10 days, he died. Now you're thinking, wait, pastor, are you saying that anybody in an abusive relationship should kill their husband or wife? No. I'm saying, listen to this. This is the message and I'm done. You can kill the worst in someone by being the best of yourself. If you want to change your partner, stop with the kakaka every day. Just be the best person you can be. And I promise you, one day they will step up and be a better man, be a better wife. How do I know? My aunt, my spiritual mother, was married to a gambler and a drunk, but she maintained her faithfulness. She was an Abigail. She was an Abigail. And because of that, now her husband is in the Lord. 32 years later, she didn't quit. She didn't divorce him. She stuck it out because she said, till death do us part. Have you ever heard the expression, I love you to death? She loved him to death. He died, but she maintained her integrity throughout it all. But that's not the end of the story. The story goes, after she had mourned the loss of her husband, David stepped up, proposed to her, and she became his wife. Don't play with David, y'all. He's patient. He's a patient man. And when he proposed to her, listen to what she said. Not only will I wash your feet, I will wash your servant's feet. That's a woman. No, no, I'm not saying that you should wash your husband's feet. That's, that's not the point. It's a cultural idea of I am submitting to respect you. But it is obvious that Abigail was a strong woman. She wasn't a pushover. She was a woman's woman. You can be a man's man. This is not about husbands and wives. This is about you as an individual. You can kill the worst in your partner by being the best of yourself. Is it easy? No, it's not. It is difficult to always be on top of your game. But the Bible is telling us you can kill them softly with love. Not with anger. Not with uh, conniving and threatening lawyers and threatening to take the kids. No, just be the best you can be. Because just in case... You might meet you, the future king. Ladies, be careful how you talk to the young men in your life. You might be talking to the next king of Israel. Just because he's on the run, he doesn't have a career, he's a nobody, he could be the next David. So treat every man in your life with respect. Stop honoring men with money. Honor men with integrity. Amen, somebody. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear Lord, this was a 
very, very detailed story. But I believe that each of us has received the message that we need from it. That each of us, both men and women, can be beautiful souls who are sensible people. It doesn't come naturally. It's a work of a lifetime. It takes looking at your partner and saying, I want to be the best I can be so that you can be the best you can be. That's not easy. But it's the only way. I, I love the story because it's, it's about family life. It's about everyday experiences. Not about worship, not about church. It's about people dealing with people. And so I pray this morning that if there's any relationship in this place or watching online, that is a reflection of Nabal and Abigail. Maybe the husband is the fool. Maybe the wife is the fool. Maybe the husband is the one that's the loving, available person. Maybe it's the wife. I don't care. But those differences don't build a relationship. They destroy them. I want to pray for the fools in the relationship. That it's time you acknowledge what you are. It's time you acknowledge that you are unreasonable, you are selfish, you are greedy, and you are a bad example to your family and to your children. It is time to become beautiful and sensible the way God intended for relationships to be. I want to pray for the Abigails of this world who daily have to put up with the insults, the crudeness, the rudeness, and the meanness, and the greed of a partner who doesn't step up in character and integrity. Lord, this is difficult because each of us are, are, are in this place wondering, am I Nabal or am I Abigail? Oh, there's a little bit of Abigail and Nabal in all of us, but what we are praying for, dear God, is that all of us may have a little bit of Jesus in us. Because when we have Christ, we become righteously beautiful. We become wise as serpents and harmless like doves. We become the husbands our wives need us to be. We become the wives our husbands need us to be. I'm praying for those who are single, who are looking at marriage as a destination. Help them at this stage, at this stage, to make the right choice. To build a life and a home with somebody who's not a neighbor, but somebody who's a Job. Somebody who's accomplished and successful, but also loves God with all his heart. A woman who's like Esther, who has integrity and puts her needs aside to serve other people. A Deborah, a Joseph, a Daniel, a Moses, an Abraham. Men and women who put other people's needs above their greed and materialism. I'm praying for every family in this place that each of us may strive to be like Christ because then we can begin to deal with the worst of us. We can kill the bad things softly, moment by moment, day by day. It takes a lifetime, but it is a work worth doing. Now I pray, dear God, be above us to watch over us. May you be beneath us to lift us up when we fall. May you hear our prayers when we call. May you walk in front of us to guide us in the way. May you walk behind us that we would never go astray. May you surround us to protect us. But most of all, may you be in our hearts so that we can be the person, our children, our partner, our parents' needs in this lifetime. If this is your prayer, let me hear you say amen. And amen. God bless you.